Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. This is the Zookeeper podcast where we take you behind the scenes talking to professionals in the industry about their stories, words of wisdom and journey so far to get to where they are today, really showing you what it takes to be a zookeeper. All views throughout the podcast shared are of those speaking alone and in no way reflect the collections they work for. So please come along for the journey, enjoy the ride and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. My name's James Dennis, I'm your presenter, and today we're talking all about keepers within this industry and the taxonomic groups they look after. And I am very, very happy to introduce to you Liam McConville. Welcome, Liam, to the show. Thanks for having me, James. Really great to have you on. Now, if you want to introduce to all our lovely listeners exactly who you are, where you come from, and what title you hold. Uh, so my name is Liam McConville, aka the world's strongest zookeeper. Uh, I live and work in Cork. Um, I work in Fort Wildlife Park. Uh, and I'm a ranger there for the last 10 years. Amazing. Now, as we're learning, no one simply rolls into those positions. Everyone works their way up to get into a collection and a position of that stature. Do you have those life moments, those journey moments, and I guess those those true stories to be told along the way to getting into the position you are today? So um, originally I studied zoology in uh, university in Dublin. That's where I'm originally from. So that was four years. I got my bachelor's and... Essentially, I decided I didn't really want to go down the research route and do a master's or a PhD. I kind of wanted to get some hands-on experience and wasn't massively applicable to zookeeping. So uh, what I did was I interned in a sea life aquarium uh, in Bray, which is kind of just very south of Dublin. And I was there for about 12 weeks and it kind of gave me a, a good appreciation for all things fishy and um, scale related. So that was really interesting because at the time I didn't have a massive knowledge of fish or um aquarium so it, it kind of really opened my eyes to that and i got a, a great appreciation for it and um, once i finished that i moved down to photo wildlife park in cork so i did six weeks there uh, part of an internship and essentially just never left so i got offered a summer contract which is rolling the full-time contract and um yeah i've been there been there ever since basically i think at the time when i came in because i had the the aquarium training, they were kind of keen to get me in because they just built a new tropical house. And I, I think I was maybe three years working there before I ever stepped foot in the place just because there was so much other taxa and other things to work with. So um, when I first started in the park, um, I worked predominantly with um, what was classed as the carnivore section. So it was tigers, cheetah, lions, and then waterfowl species and free roaming um, wallabies and uh, mara and the like. Then after yeah, three and a half, four years, I moved on to hoofstock. Um, did that for two years then went on to primates did that for a year and then swapped back onto Hoofstock, which i'm currently working at the moment quite a journey already and quite a variety also especially with all those species now before we move on i want to take you back further though everyone's journey starts around college or university i want to delve a little deeper liam where did it actually begin for you you know i know for myself it started as a child and and much much younger than college and university level did it start any sooner than that period or was it simply the light bulb just switched on at college and uni and it went from there oh no i was um since probably about four or five years of age i've been going to dublin zoo pretty much every weekend and we had the family pass and that was dublin zoo was my family uh, and kind of my home zoo we were only 10 minutes down the road from it so i was very fortunate to be able to go visit it so much so that really kind of sparked the interest for me i was always massively interested in reptiles when i go down there i just stand there and 
and look at a, they had a big Burmese python at the time and I wouldn't move at all and I'd stand there two hours just staring at it waiting to see if it would move so yeah and then my um, dad comes from a farming background so if we were ever up visiting um, relations I'd always be out in the farm trying to help out and do kind of any bits and pieces that I could so there was always that keenness on animals um, certainly probably from kind of 12 to 18 it, it fizzled out just with you know, life and puberty and everything else that kind of gets in the way, but then kind of looking at it as a career opportunity, then it, it kind of, it just made sense really to give it a go. So I, I did the zoology degree and then just said I'd really kind of put my foot down and give it a shot. And then lucky enough, it all kind of worked out okay, which is probably not the case for a lot of people. It's, it's very, especially in Ireland, given how few zoological uh, facilities we have. So uh, I was very lucky in that sense. Now going back to those taxes, you've worked with a whole range of variety of taxa i noticed a little sprinkling of fish in there a bit of aquatic life mixed in with your, your hoof stock your primates and so on what i want to dive into though is really knuckling it down good luck to you i don't know if you can or not what sort of taxonomic group do you associate yourself with what sort of taxa keeper are you and for anyone listening why should they be working with those specific taxa as, as you said i got to work with so many different animals and i thought when i first started I was all big cats to the go. You know, we had, I think we had 20 odd cheetah when I first started. We just got some action tigers in, then we got lions in too. So I had to do a lot of work with them and it was fantastic. But then moved on to Hoofstock. And I certainly at the start, I kind of, we had Indian rhino. I was just like, oh, they're, you know, they're just big gray clouds. There's nothing, nothing about them. And then you get to know the individuals and the species and it's, they're just all fantastic. And I suppose there's something calming with a lot of the likes of the giraffe and the rhino and, and, and tapir. They seem a lot more settled and there's, far less I suppose, aggression than you get with say your big cats or even your primate species as well there's so much intricacies and especially when you have large social groups fighting a lot of messing around whereas I don't know for some reason the hoofstock just it really kind of kind of sits well with me and, and also all the other aspects that come with hoofstock with regards to you know being able to drive machinery and um, obviously it depends on on how big your facility is and what they allow you to do, but certainly we're given free reign to do a lot of our own tractor driving, machinery work, um, you know, all the different types of brows you have to get. So there are lots of different aspects to it rather than just, you know, mucking out beds, that sort of stuff. And then all the enrichment and training that goes with working with those animals. Yeah, for sure. Now, obviously with those taxes, we want to give them best life we can um, and, and to the optimum level. With regards to that, I want to dive into enrichment. I want to dive into how we can stimulate our animals to show those natural behaviours and and simply enjoy their lives. With regards to your taxa, obviously each certain taxa gives its own own uh, <laughs> problems, shall we say, but also some strengths and weaknesses behind how you build something, what it requires, whether it has to be waterproof or just hardy or so on. With regards to enrichment, have you picked up any key little tips and tricks along the way anything which really works well with your taxa so i suppose we'll start off with maybe giraffe so obviously used to using their mouth obviously they don't have hands so they have to use their mouth to manipulate things so you know any type of feeding you can give them you make it that little bit harder so not just hay or lucerne just left out in a rack if you have different holes set up for them of different sizes let them work away on that uh, we're very lucky with our giraffe so we have um a 12 acre paddock that we put them out into so there's browse poles all dotted along the paddock so we can move them in different ways so some days you know you'll spread the branches out nice and evenly other days you can have them all lumped on one or two browse poles you can even leave some older ones up just to kind of get them used to using as much of the paddock as possible 
even getting them to browse low as well. So maybe not always tying the browse up, but putting one or two on the ground as well, just offers a, a new different type of way from the browse and, and feed. Um, you find that scratch your legs off a quite a lot too. We, have, we also have um, perimeter posts that would find the drafts will walk up and rub off. And sometimes they can move them as well. So they kick them off and then you have to pop back out and put them back on. We're also very lucky that they're in a, a paddock with other animals. So we've got ostrich, uh, zebra, scimitar, horned oryx, and then also you get wallabies running through and stuff. So all those different taxa involved in there just get them interested. And especially if you have babies, it's just everything goes up a notch. It's, it's fantastic. I suppose with regards to the likes of rhino or even tapir as well, we have nice kind of high hay feeders for them. So they'll have to kind of figure out different ways to climb mounds and actually get up to the food. I suppose there is a bit of a, I'm not saying ease, but you can be quite lazy with hoofstock or if you really that pushed. You know, you can just leave all their hair in, the, in a feeder and just let them have that. So it's nice to really kind of just get them move around a little bit because they will just sit there all day and, and browse at that or graze at that one point if they get the opportunity. So I think certainly with their food, it's always about trying to keep them busy and, and keep them thinking as well. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I find works works the best with those guys. Certainly you can give them the, uh, the novelty enrichment, so different smells or, you know, pumpkins on Halloween and whatnot. They work to a certain extent, but as I said, they're more novelty. I think if you can build the enrichment into the day-to-day feeding and just the day-to-day routine and schedule, it, it kind of works out far better for them. You are making my job very easy, Liam. Very much intertwining everything together, which is exactly how it is. Enrichment's one thing, but being able to stimulate them through good enclosure design is a whole other. And we're seeing that in the modern day within our zoos, very much progressing year on year. With regards to your taxa, is there anything in particular within enclosure design which is essential, whether it be for training purposes, for husbandry purposes or so on, which is really key behind your taxa's well-being? We did. A, we had a, a mound built up in, the, in our draft paddock uh, last year. They were digging out foundations for a new education building and they just basically dumped a load of soil out there and kind of shaped it and whatnot. And I've never seen so much joy for those animals i say joy you'll get so many of them just walking up on top and getting new views and it made such a difference i think personally to the animals level of welfare like you'd have certain drafts that maybe were lower on the social hierarchy would go up there because they'd be able to get away from the other draft and kind of they'd have their own spot and you'd get still get the uh zebra and the ostrich rolling up that way as well so i certainly think different topography levels is is massive and um, we also Within most of our paddocks, we've uh, quite a decent bison paddock as well. We've got tree protection with um, willow and apple trees growing in. So what you'll find is, you know, once springtime rolls around, the apples will form and then you'll get the, the bison and the giraffe feeding off all those little extra bits they can get out, which is really, really fantastic. So certainly those extra bits of feeding opportunity and browsing opportunity really make a difference to them and keep them just that little bit more busy. We're also very lucky we get to kind of drive out in the paddock with our giraffe too so there's nothing more enriching than driving past the giraffe with a big trailer full of browse and they'll all sprint straight after you so that makes it that little bit more interesting and then you touched on the training as well so you know if you can have a training yard built into your paddock happy days fortunately we don't have that so um we do a lot of our training in-house and um, so typically we try and kind of schedule it so first thing in the morning we'll do one lot of giraffe and then the second uh, half of the day we'll try and get another few in there so um yeah it's it's great to be able to to have a routine and you can build that into the the days it would be just to make sure you hit all your your points with regards to enrichment and your training and also your cleaning as well i would say i'd probably value those two things over the cleaning any day of the week so yeah for sure i think i've been to countless zoos and seen giraffe paddocks which are flat 
just with a bit of grass and obviously matching up to their wild habitats with hills and mountains and stuff. I think it's it's for sure some great, great enrichment. So no, some great words and I'll definitely be taking that away. Now, I think we before we move on, you know, you touched on the training aspect and making the time. I'm sure you've heard many times that, you know, we, we don't have the time for that. You know, we've got so much stuff to do within our role. How do we fit that in? Is it something which is is possible? You do hear it from time to time still, and certainly within the park as well. And to that, I would say, make time. If if it's something you really want to do, as most people say, it doesn't have to be a big training session, two, three, five minutes. You have that a benefit with giraffe. You can use a lot of food with them and use a lot of reinforcer, depending obviously on what you're using. But like I've gone, I've done 45 minute sessions with giraffes before and it's, it's just fantastic. And like they've been switched on from the get-go. So certainly from when you hear people say that, I say make time. That's And that's the biggest thing. You know, we do it first thing in the morning, you know, and, and you'll find out. So what we were, what we found with our giraffe is you do the same giraffe consecutively two, three days on the trot. They're waiting for you in the morning to go train. And, and it's great to you. Like we have a um, fairly long house with different sections to split giraffe off. So we'll just split the giraffe off in a section. They'll still see everyone, you know, they're not that separated. And that's one of the big things I find with training giraffe is you need to still have the herd close by. Otherwise they will get stressed out. But you split them off, you get them ready for training. And then, you know, you hit two, three, four animals in a session. It doesn't have to be huge, but it can be, you know, quality over quantity. And then, you know, kick them out, get ready for for the day and you're good to go but um yeah certainly make time that's that's all i can say to that if you need to not do as deep a clean as something then it's well worth putting the time into the training absolutely i couldn't agree more and before we move on to the next segment of this episode i'm gonna ask more of you i know i've just taken a gem from you of advice but i want another one can you give me one more bit of advice one hot tip for any listener listening in and hoping some words of wisdom don't take criticism from people you wouldn't take advice from that's probably one of the big ones because i think we work in an industry that's very much dominated by egos and and you, you constantly hear especially on social media of you know your toxic workplace and that sort of stuff it, it's awful to see and you you know it, it's it's sad to see so many people leaving the workplace as well um obviously not just because of the pay but also because you know they're in mentally not the best place so i would I always just say, unless you care about that person with regards to if you're getting advice from them, just duck off a water's back, pay no attention. Or, well, I say pay no attention, but don't let it affect the way you work and the way you carry about yourself because it's just not worth it. It's just, yeah, it's 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 rough. I don't like seeing it. I really hate And I hate seeing the the constant talk of the the toxic workplace is just not a not a good vibe at the moment and i think it's becoming more prevalent you see people getting burnt out a lot faster so i'm also to that then as well as have something outside of zookeeping zookeeping is not your your all-encompassing thing you're more everyone is more than just a zookeeper take that on board as much as you can like it's great to love your job but have something inside of it have something a goal other than wanting to clean a, a draft yard or something like that make sure you're doing something outside of work it's so important to have those extra steps and goals in place just so that if work is bad, that means your life is bad if you don't have anything outside of it. So have something ready to go outside. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I'm going to wreck something you're going to bring up in the future of this episode. So I do apologize. But I just want to touch on 
with regards to your Instagram account, you're regarded as the world's strongest zookeeper. So I would say self-proclaimed, but absolutely, yeah. Well, a pretty cool title nonetheless. What exactly does that entail? What what does that mean? So about three years ago, so I've always been interested in um, strength sports. I played rugby as a child, uh, a child from 12 to about 22, then still kind of maintain going to the gym and stuff. And then after, about three years ago, I started doing strongman. So it's essentially push, pulling, moving heavy weights of different implements. So there's nothing just as basic as a barbell is usually, you know, either you can have something for a heavy one rep or you could have multiple reps within 60 seconds. So it challenges both cardiovascular and your strength. And then, you know, you could be moving sandbags around, you could be moving um, heavy big pieces of steel. There's just lots of different aspects of it. So um, it was always something that was quite interesting, but I'm not, I'm not a huge person. So I didn't think it was an avenue that we go down but unfortunately weight classes are something that are trickling into the the sport now which is great so i parlayed that then with the whole zookeeping situation so um they kind of function well together because obviously you know if you're moving hay bales and that sort of stuff around it, it kind of lends itself to to the work too so they, they kind of complement each other very well yeah some really great stuff and really great to hear about that balance uh throughout now Anyone who is interested, I do encourage you, go and check out his Instagram, world's underscore strongest underscore zookeeper. Um, some quite incredible stuff. Now, we're going to move on. We're going to move on to the big questions. These are part of this podcast episode where we tackle some of the larger questions within the industry and try and find a few answers along the way. Now, the first one for you is quite a large question, but quite a simple one at the time, at the same time. And that is... The industry, you know, the role of the zookeeper is so large now. We've got about 10 roles combined into one from nutritionist to welfare officer and so on and so forth. What do you feel is the largest challenge within the role? And if you have an answer for it, what do you see as the the answer to overcome it? And maybe not so much from a zookeeper point of view. It's more so from a, a zoological institute point of view. They're still very much not wanting to be transparent about the kind of the day-to-day roles and what zoos actually do. And that's that goes both negative and positive. Like from my own point of view, we've done so much work and photo with our European bison um over the past number of years with reintroductions. I think the last ones we did were when they to Kazakhstan. There's very little said about that. And you're like kind of you're like you should be that should be posted every couple of days just to let people know that you know we do have animals in captivity, but they are actually going back out when possible. Obviously Putting animals out into the wild is an incredibly difficult and you know expensive process. And the last thing you want to do is go put something out and it dies straight away. You know, it is considering the amount of money and effort that gets put in. So certainly we don't do enough to show what good work we do. And then on top of that, then you know, depending on what species we have, we don't have any kind of affiliation. Well, certainly within my institute anyway, we have very few affiliations for all the animals with different conservation and in-situ research and that sort of stuff. So I, I certainly, I think we should be doing a lot more in-situ work with the animals that we have in our captive populations. Like even FODA does a huge amount of native species work. Very little is said about it. And yet you have all these animal activists jumping on. And as as you said earlier, they're the loudest voice in the room gets heard and they're certainly the loudest voices at the moment from a zoo point of view we could do so much more just to advertise the good work that we do totally a really good answer and that is number one complete now number two is something we're all told about in the industry and to be fair in all industries and that's creating that good home to work life relationship 
and and creating the balance now within the zookeeping industry it's renowned for being quite a hard thing to do you take your work home with you whether it be researching your animals up to hand raising and so on and so forth do you think it's possible is it possible to create this balance to create a good balance between work and home life and move forwards with a good health, a good mental state and physical state. Do we have enough time? So yeah, I, I suppose being a bit more seasoned now, I see the likes of our you know younger keepers come in and they're so gung ho and you know oh, I was doing this at home and there's this um you know I was looking at uh, writing out a training protocol and this and that and I'm like I don't don't you dare do that at home when you go home you go home and you relax you chill out you turn your brain off certainly WhatsApp groups have been a big issue in our place over the last you know number of months where people go home and they start posting stuff and it's just bombardment after bombardment so uh, we actually switch over to teams because you can alter the uh the notifications and that sort of stuff just to give yourself a break but yeah i would say certainly and I, like i went through it as well i would say it was probably two years into the the honeymoon period before i was kind of like Oof, i'm getting tired of this um so yeah you got you really gotta learn and it, again it takes it's gonna. It takes someone getting to that point where, oof, I'm getting tired now. I need to need to be able to pull it back a little bit. So yeah, you, you can't be so invested all the time. I know people talk about zookeeping as a vocation. I'm not a fan of that to be honest, just because it really just it it takes the person out of it all completely. You know, it just means you are the zoo and that's it. And fair enough, handling animals. We've all had to do it at some point. I think anyway, or, or to an extent. Um, and, you know, you do get those times where you got to come in that little bit earlier, a little, stay a little bit later, but it should not become a habit. Um, and if it is, it's got to be something that needs to be addressed either by management or by yourself to management. Because, yeah, it, it just, fatigue is cumulative. It will eventually build up. And the only thing that's going to go is yourself. So certainly when it comes to those those aspects, the biggest thing to have is have your telltale signs of when you know you're maybe putting a bit too much into it or it's taking too much out of you maybe it's probably a better way to put it have structures in place so you can say you know maybe every three months or two months i do a long weekend or something and with some holidays on top of obviously other holidays you could have but you know give yourself that break and i talked about as well earlier in the podcast you know just having goals outside of the the zoo and and your your institute you know if you need to go do the gym or even just go for a walk every two, three nights a week, something just to separate yourself from the zoo. It, it's super important. Um, you know, maybe even just be on your day off, go to a cafe, read a book for a couple of hours, get out of a certain space into a, a, a completely different one. That's, that's not right. Zoos in any way, because the last thing you want to be is, I, I, I say this with a grain of salt. I love being a zookeeper, but I'm more than just that. You know, I have my, weightlifting so i do my training in the morning before i go to work so that's what's on my head when i'm getting up in the morning it's not zookeeping it's am i gonna you know be able to hit certain lifts that i need to do today then i'll go to work and i'll be like cool. i'm in work we're getting it done once i finish work all that's out of my head i'm not gonna go into it the next day and you know because the last thing you want to do is bring stuff home from work especially if you've had a bad day because then that impacts you know whoever you're living with you know if your family it's just it's just not a good look, so we don't need that. Definitely, and I think we're touching on something which is quite, you know, you hear it a lot within this industry, and that is, you know, I, I work outside. I work in a very full-on industry with regards to heavy lifting, you know, you're very active. So, therefore, I don't need to go for a jog or a run or go to the gym because I simply do it in my day-to-day -day role. 
but I'm sure you're the man to tell us it's not quite for that reason. No, it's 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 multifaceted. So certainly it's just something that helps grow me and keeps me keeps me a bit more focused. So I, as I said, it takes that focus away from zookeeping and puts it on something else. Also, with it being a little bit more competitive, it just means I have very specific goals set for maybe a nine, 10 week period, which is, is just really useful. It just means you can be very focused on that. And then new competition pops up, new set of events that are maybe completely different to the last one. So then I have to go, all right, well, I have to write this up and see see what's going to work. It's it's great to be, and again, I say, get, get out of the way because 100%, I've tried training after work, not a chance. If we get 500 bales of hay and I'm not going to be half the energy I, I was afterwards. So um, no, get, get it all done out of the way. And I mean, it, that, that works for me. And I'm lucky enough, uh, my wife comes into the gym with me at six o'clock in the morning to get it done as well. So I'm very lucky, but I do have stuff out my card as well if I need to uh, get a session in. But yeah, it's it's important to to have something completely different. So whatever works for you, really. I always find this really interesting when, you know, I have friends who are lawyers or work in offices and they're like on their weekends, they're like, oh, you know, we're going to go out drinking and we're going to go do this and this and this. And I'm like, I've done stuff all week. All I want to do is just relax. So don't ever feel under pressure to have to go out you know, it's good to be able to go to social events, but don't feel under pressure to go to those just because, you know, people are like, oh, well, they have a completely different job to us. They're not getting 20,000 steps a day in, you know, working around, moving stuff. So don't ever feel under pressure to not just have a day where you just veg out and do nothing because it's massively important to be able to, as I said, to take those breaks and give yourself the opportunity to recharge and reset. Really, really well put. I think we definitely covered that one and answered that one, Liam. Now, moving on then, you know, the industry is strong. You know, look in the UK alone, we have so many different collections and and faces to, to front conservation, education and what zoos are about. Where I'm going with this is, do you feel with all of our zoos, wildlife parks, safari parks, to engage, to inspire, to educate, are, are we doing enough for our guests to really get our message across? I think we could always do more, um, which is just my aspects of anything. Like zookeeping is, has evolved so much. Like photo itself now, is, it's 40 years old. And the differences I've even seen in the last you know five, six years of work in the place, it's changed so much. But it needs to constantly change, constantly evolve. You know, we're in the middle of a biodiversity crisis that isn't really being advertised a huge amount. Like people are saying it, but they're not. People aren't feeling it. That's the problem. So um, we need to do a lot more and just highlighting that there are certain species that, you know, in the next 10, 15 years, we're not going to see anymore in the wild. You're only going to be able to see them in zoos, which is an awful, awful thought. To that question, we can always do more. That That's my take home from it is, whether it's, you know, we do more conferences. And I think we we do all this, you know, IASA, BIASA conferences and workshops. We should be offering more stuff to just the general public as well, whether it's we bring in um, conservationists and give out free talks to, to members of the public, that sort of thing. We should, or even um, universities would probably be the best ones to to go hit first. But certainly just to, just to get the point across that a little bit more that things are not going to be the same in, in 15, 20 years time is, is very important. So, um, and that zoos are going to play certainly far more of a role than people give them credit for. Like obviously the role of a zoo over the last 30, 40, 50 years has changed so much. You know, we didn't realize the impact humans were having on wildlife until, well, if we did, we didn't do enough to kind of prevent it over the last couple of years. Um, but certainly it's becoming, it's, we're feeling it a lot more and, 
you know, you're seeing it in uh, in the number of species that are starting to go extinct. So more work can be done, but I think we're on the right track. Um, again, obviously, education is a huge part of it. So we do need to to just keep pushing and just never settle. Uh, you know, whether it comes to animal enclosures, um, husbandry training, all that sort of stuff. Never be happy for what we're doing. Always push to do more. That, that's all I can say. A really great answer. Now, let's dial that down then all the way from our collections, all the way down to the keepers. You know, we are in force throughout the globe. There are so many of us out there driving on to do the right thing by our animals and by the species we look to preserve. With us as a collective, you know, dial it down to the UK alone. Do you feel we are collaborating to a high enough level or do we still need to improve? <sighs> Again, it's it's kind of a yes and no question. We do some stuff, but at the end of the day, you're, you're kind of hindered by, you know, if you can afford to go to any of these conferences, if your facility will send you. And then, you know, geographically, like, it's grand for you guys in the UK because you can drive to your, your, you know, in Ireland, we have to either get a flight over or ferry over and such. So it is, it's tricky. You know, you see people doing the keeper swaps and that sort of stuff, which is great, but we don't do anything with Dublin. And I kind of, I always kind of question why. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, the question, the answer is maybe we are, maybe we aren't. But as I said, we can always do more. Like it is great that and we have the likes of this podcast now to collaborate. And I suppose you have the likes of, uh, Sharon Mountain Zoo coming over and doing the, the hoof trimming course over in uh, the Wild Place project or what was formerly the Wild Place, which is great. But we need more of that. We need more more cohesion. We need more um, collaboration, whether it's you know specific to one taxa or one part of husbandry or anything like that. But we just more, 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 more is what we need. And, you know, it, it's easy for me to sit here and say that, but, you know, I'd always be happy to see, you know, a lot more collaborations between zoos and zookeepers and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and to bunny hop on to the end of that conversation there, with regards to Ireland, you know, we over at My Collection in the UK are very hot on the Secretary of State guidelines, you know, within, within an hour of around four, maybe five different zoos, very well connected and, and very, you know, in amongst it all. With regards to to Ireland, how would you describe zookeeping out there, the collections out there, and and basically the the walk of life for a zookeeper in Ireland? I mean, it's fantastic. As I said, there's been a lot of change. So when I first started in the park ten years ago, we had eight zookeeping staff, um. So that's expanded to about twenty two now, give or take a few people being off sick and whatnot. So there's been a lot of progression. Um, I think overall the general consensus of the public to views is very positive, although. You know, there is still that small little cohort of animal activists and people who aren't pro-zoo, which is, I'm not saying, I don't have anything against people that aren't pro-zoo. It's when they have those biases and, you know, they don't want to look at any of the good stuff. It's literally only like, oh, you know, animals used to be kept in, you know, these teeny tiny cages. It's like, well, things have evolved now. We're not doing it like that anymore. or We shouldn't be. Um, You know, we're trying to do a lot better. It's not an ideal situation, but... As I kind of already touched on, animals aren't exactly doing the greatest at the moment. So we can afford them certain privileges or um, niceties in captivity with the idea that at some point we'll get them out. And we've shown, you know, through the likes of the bison, reintroductions, arcs, um, we've also done seagull reintroductions too, um, that it can work and it does work. It's just when you start going up to your trophic levels of, you know, you go from your herbivores all the way up to your top tier predators, that's a whole other ballgame, and it's not an easy thing to to implement into the 
um, wild populations or, well, I say wild populations, we'll say managed wild populations because even nowadays, you know, the wild is, it's far less wild than people think anymore, you know. Um, and it, it's just, it's super interesting just to see people's views. So obviously we have Dublin Zoo in Ireland too, which is kind of a, a premier zoo um, and has had massive influence, um, especially over the last kind of 10, 15 years with the, the TV show and stuff. So I think zookeeping as a whole in Ireland is quite quite strong. Certainly, it, it's a it's looked on very positively, and I think we've got a, a good group of people um, working both you know here and in, in Dublin, and I think obviously Chuck Belfast up there as well. Um, but as I said, we're maybe three four hours apart from each other as a whole. So you know, getting up to them and 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 collaborating is kind of it's difficult enough, even though we're kind of under the same zoological institutional bracket. So. Um, we can always do more. It's probably going to be my uh, my tag for the whole bloody podcast. But um, yeah, I, I would love to see more collaborations um, between us and the likes of Dublin and Belfast. And I think you have Wild Ireland up in Donegal, which is a slightly newer facility that's popped up too. Well, Liam, just like that, you smashed through the big questions and you've made it through the other side. Thank you so much for sharing all that knowledge. Um, some really great answers along the way. Now, you lead to the last part of this episode, and that is the quick fire round. It's a deceiving name purely because it's never a quick fire round. Keepers like to talk too much and it erupts into conversation. So let's give it a go and see how we get on. The first one for you, I think it's quite a simple one, but we'll give it a go. And that is what is your favourite animal? So that will change on a kind of day to day, depending on kind of their, their, their moods. But I would say for me... A very underrated animal would be the likes of tapirs. I find them fantastic. They're gorgeous animals to work with. Temperament-wise, they're usually pretty decent. Although we had uh, our taper and capybara getting into a big fight there about three weeks ago. I'm not sure what the capybara was thinking, but he certainly came off worse. But yeah, I think they're they're a really cool species. And I don't think they get enough credit for zoological facilities. And I'd love to, like, we have we have a swimming pool for them, but I'd love to get a, a big underwater one. Um, like you see with elephants and stuff and get to see them actually swim because they're fab. They're fab animals. And as I said, I think they're massively underrated. But most zookeepers kind of who work with them know know what the story is because they're, they're class. Yeah, really nice answer. Now, the next one is quite a hot topic for this whole episode. Um, so we'll try and, and go back into it. And that is, what is your top tip for mental health and well-being? Uh, so as I said, the biggest one is just have goals outside zookeeping. Don't let that be your sole purpose for living because... You know, you're always going to have bad days. They're going to pop up. And if, you know, everything is zookeeping, then everything is bad. So make sure you have something inside the, the zoo, either it's a sport, a hobby, knitting, um, you know, or even just just a, a simple routine that gets you out of the zoo headspace because it, it's nothing worse than just being kind of stuck in a rut there and you've, you know, you feel trapped. And that's where people leave or, God forbid, they um, that they do feel stuck and they've got nowhere else to go. So... Before you ever get to that point, always have certain structures in place that will help you get away from that. Yeah, cracking. Okay, the next one is really left field for you, and that is what is your favourite film? Jurassic Park. as a, a no-brainer. Yeah, true classics. Now, the true question for you, Liam, is herbivores or carnivores in Jurassic Park? Oh, I, I, you know what? I, to be a raptor keeper, I mean, I, I don't think Jurassic World did 
did the, the franchise any favors, but if I could be Chris Pratt with three Raptors or four Raptors at that point, pretty, pretty cool. Because there was that trend as well going for a while when that movie came out, everyone doing the um pose, yeah. So remember we did it with um oh we did it with meerkats and kangaroos and stuff. It was a bit of crack. Yeah, and of a, a pack of Velociraptors would be uh would be a pretty cool one to pull out. A really great answer. Now the next one then. What is the best part of the industry? I mean, the animals is the easy one. Um, like I, I really, really love working giraffe, especially for hoof trimming. So certainly with giraffe, there's a massive issue um, with their hooves at the moment in captivity in general. We don't know a huge amount about wild um, giraffe hooves. So, you know, it's kind of a lot of it is pulled from the likes of dairy cattle and stuff. But what we do know is bad substrate, bad food lead to bad hooves. So uh, it's about kind of find, finding what works. And certainly I, I really enjoyed training our giraffes because they are that, that little bit more difficult than than other animals. And, you know, we've got uh, a herd of 10 giraffes at the moment. Every single one of them is trained to, to curl their feet. So uh, it, it's a massive uh, plus. And it's it's a big shout out to all the people that I've worked with on Hoofstock um, because, you know, it was, as I said, it's been a good six years of, of solid work and consistent day in day out just kind of those small little um repetitions those small wins as well um just to get them up so that yeah certainly that's probably one of my favorite parts of the job is is getting to play with your athlete yeah love it okay the next one then is this could take you anywhere in this world and that is what zoo globally would you like to visit and why probably paradise at the moment i i see that on instagram all the time and the place looks amazing i've heard it i heard it's a decent size so i think i have a couple of cheetah up there too so i'd love to go visit at some point uh, it's just it looks like a fab location for sure azu which i'm sure will come up time and time again pediaza uh, epic zoo by the looks of things i've not been myself but really really want to go that is that how you pronounce it that does paradise yeah it's a name i cannot get right i apologize listeners if i've got that totally wrong in my pronunciation um an epic zoo i'm definitely not doing the name justice <laughs> okay well let's move on then we'll go on to the next question liam and that is what trait or attribute inside yourself has allowed you to become the person you are and get you into the position you're in today um i suppose there's a couple of traits that i feel really kind of help me one is i'm incredibly enthusiastic like when i come in for the morning especially if i'm after working out like I'm already awake three, four hours, so I'm good to go. So I'll blast through stuff pretty quick in the morning. So yeah, certainly from an enthusiastic point of view, but also like I'm I'm very keen on helping others, you know, reach their goals. So like I'd be probably one of the people if someone wanted to get a certain job done throughout the day, they'd come to me like, you know, can you make time to give us a hand with this? And I, absolutely, you know, it's it's something I always always find um, works out quite well. So and it kind of alludes back to the don't take criticism for people you wouldn't get advice from, you know. I'll take good good advice and, and bad advice to our criticism, maybe we'll say, but at the end of the day, just have a bit of a thick skin about it and go with your gut a lot. You know, especially if you've been in it for a while, don't let someone get you down or kind of, you know, call you out and stuff that, you know, if, if you, fair enough, if you feel it's warranted, yeah, but if it's not, go with your gut, go with, go with your own, um, your own intentions and don't let it stop you doing what you want. And always... And again, as I said, it's the running theme for this buddy podcast is never settle. Always keep pushing. You know, if you feel like things aren't moving the way they should, you know, just just poke it, poke it a little bit. Obviously, don't poke it too much, but you know, give it that push. You know, and just constantly, constantly keep people wanting to do better. So, if I ever become a manager, it's certainly something I want to see from you know people that I would work with would be just to constantly keep 
keep pushing and keep trying to do better. You know, once if you stop swimming, we stagnate and things don't get any better. So I always want more. Yeah, perfect. Okay, moving on then. I struggle with this question every time. Good luck to you. If you weren't a zookeeper, what would you be? I've kind of bounced around. So I would have thought maybe if zookeeping didn't work out, I'd probably go into something fitness related. So probably a PT or something like that. But the more I work zookeeping and, and kind of think if I wasn't a zookeeper, I'd probably go into farming, maybe be a farmhand or try and open something small. Yeah, prob- probably around those lines. I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of cows. Probably farming. I've kind of always, it would probably be something animal related. Absolutely. A great answer. Now to reflect a question from earlier on, what do you still feel we need to improve within this industry? I think, you know, we talk about the education side of things. We don't do enough. And certainly from a social media aspect of it, it's such a useful tool that I don't think we take advantage of. It's so easy just to pop something out there real quick and easy just to be like, oh, we're doing this at this time or, you know, come support a specific conservation charity or that sort of thing we don't use it enough just to get little tidbits out you know i think zoos use it as almost a secondary tool to the likes of radio or newspaper and i just think think they're just undervaluing the use of it you know there's so many people now who have made you know you look at all the social media people have made millions off of it now and you're just like zoos could essentially do the exact same thing but they've just no scope for that you know how many zoos have youtube very few. And you, you see, you know, your your pet tubers on um on YouTube, your your Brian Barchicks, they make so much money and they get so much content out to people that uh, I think it's just certainly an avenue zoos just don't want to use. Again, you see the likes of uh Cam and Aaron out of Paradise. They just push it so well and it's they do such a great job that and I, I know they actually led a workshop on it as well. So uh, fair play to them. So hopefully that becomes that bit bigger and zoos get on board with it because it, it's something really important because currently the marketing of, of zoos is just, it's just not there. It's not what it needs to be. And I think, as I said, the likes of YouTube, TikTok, uh, Facebook um, and Instagram is all very underutilized. I think they kind of, zoos look at it as almost like it, it's it's for kids or, you know, it's just not that important. But like your demographic and the people you want to hit are all on those platforms and that's what you got to go with. Um, and then whether it changes over the next couple of years, maybe it will. But for the moment, we're just not hitting those those targets that I would think we need to hit. For sure. And hopefully as time goes on, things will only progress. Now, the next one, I'm going to dive straight into your brain, straight into your personal side. And that is who within the industry is your idol? I don't think I'd, I'd pick one specific person. Certainly, obviously, Steve Irwin is probably uh, one people a lot, get a lot of uh, points over, we'll say. But obviously, Steve was great for his time. You look at some of the stuff now and you're like, oh, that probably, you know, isn't the best from a welfare point of view for the animal or, you know, he, he kind of, obviously he needed to make it over the top. So he get picked up um, and we really haven't had anyone like him since, you know, everyone's still on the back of Steve Irwin. Um, I know they tried to push Robert and um, Bindi a little bit and it's not, they're kind of just, not that they're failing, but uh, it's just, just not hitting that mark. Certainly in Ireland, Jerry Creighton, uh, formerly of Dublin Zoo, he was always someone who's kind of really pushed shoes the last 15 years. And it was great to see because he's been in the zoo game for so long. You know, he's been there when things were very different to what they are now. And he really kind of welcomed the change with open arms and was very positive about the fact that, you know, maybe things done back in the day weren't the right thing, but we're working towards the better way to do it now. And, 
he's certainly one of those people that really pushes the mark. So um, certainly in Ireland anyway, he'd be one that, and I think he's revered with a lot of zookeepers in Ireland, the UK and all over the world. He does, he does such great work. Uh, I'd give Barbara Heidenreich a shout out as well, because uh, certainly from a training aspect of it, she really kind of lit a fire under me and gave us uh, everyone in, in photo really a kind of a, an eye opener to what can be done if you really apply yourself and set that time apart for the training. So those are kind of three people I would say would be cornerstones of I feel helped me become the, the keeper I am today. But also anyone I've worked with has kind of molded me to some degree. And then also myself, you know, I, I, I can't forget that, you know, as, as much as people help shape you, you shape yourself and, you, you know, you're making those choices that will kind of dictate where you go. So I, I don't think anyone should ever kind of downplay the effect they have on themselves. Some really great words. Now this leads us perfectly to the final question of this episode. And that is, I now need you, Liam, to sum up this whole episode in only three words. Uh, so we'll say changing, uh, progressing and fun. Everyone have fun. At the end of the day, if you're not coming into work, you're not enjoying yourself. You're not going to get the best out of yourself and other people. Um, so that's something I would always say is, you know, you get in, you, we got into this for the love of the game. The love of the game is animals. Love those animals. Have fun. Come into work with a smile on your face. And yeah, just just push on and keep keep doing what everyone's doing. And I suppose we'll hark back to the whole mental health thing. If you know people are feeling down, don't be afraid to say it, but don't let it ruin your day. Perfectly summed up. Now, before we do conclude this episode, Liam, I want to take you back to your taxa. You know, we talked about a whole range of different taxes, but in particular, we've really focused in on our hoof stock. I think there's no bias here. But there's been a lot of giraffe. Um, absolutely so. A bit of tape here mixed in there as well with a whole range of different hoof stock along the way. For anyone listening, one final time, sum up for us all. Why should someone be looking at these animals, working with these animals and loving these animals at such a passionate level? They're just a really interesting species. I think people downplay how intelligent they are now you do get the uh, if anyone's worked with giraffe and especially training you get periods of time where they'll just stare off into the distance for two three minutes at a time and it's just those little weird instances where you're like come on let's let's get back into it now and i have a lot of love for hoofstock they're, they're class animals um you know rhinos essentially you know two thousand kilo labradors they just love a good rub same with tapir they're, they're fab as well bison just big fluffy cows but yeah no the who stock are class you get to do a lot of cool stuff with them you get to drive tractors as well um so i'm all about that that tractor life and that who stock life at the moment and that i think is a wrap that is a perfect way to sum up this episode and i think we've all learned a lot about who stock along the way liam thank you so much for coming on sharing your stories your journeys and your words of wisdom along the way. It's been been a true pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me, James. Hopefully we'll get you on again very, very soon. You got it. Take care until then, Liam. Cheers. Bye. And that concludes this week's episode. What an amazing guest and an amazing time we had. Now, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe on Instagram, Facebook, or our podcast channels to Zookeeping 101. I can't express how thankful I am personally from a fellow zookeeper to have you along for this quite amazing journey learning about everything zookeeper. Otherwise, please subscribe. Thank you for listening and see you very, very soon. Bye.